Welcome to Moments with Marilyn. I'm your host, Marilyn Boyer, the mom of 14 homeschool kids. I absolutely love young moms, and it's my passion to provide you with tips and tools to make your journey easier. Today, we are going to continue our study on the book of Shepherding a Child's Heart by Ted Tripp. So we're nearing the end. I think we've got maybe two more sessions and we will complete that book. But today we're going to be talking about discarding unbiblical methods of correction and communication. So let's get right into it. Biblically, the method in which we correct our kids is as important as the objectives. So God is not only concerned with what we do, but how we do it. So in this session, we're going to identify some unbiblical worldly methods that we just kind of tend to accept as okay. Often, you know, parents will just fall back on the human mind as the standard, how we were raised. You know, you often hear people say, I didn't turn out so bad. Or some expert who has some cool new idea. I remember several years ago, we were at a homeschooling convention and there was a speaker, I don't even remember the guy's name, but he was talking about dealing with correcting your kids. And um, he had some goofy system, like if your kids disobey in the store, the way you deal with it is to get down and do push-ups and invite the kids into your safe space to do push-ups or the mom go off and color and invite her kids to come color with her. But, you know, we, instead we want to see what the Bible says and how the Bible says to deal with disobedience and correction. And it does tell us how. So we don't have to come up with some new crazy scheme for dealing with our kids' misbehavior. The Bible tells us how to do that. You know, many parents just never think about what to do. They just kind of holler and yell and kind of grow increasingly frustrated and default on what their parents did. That's very easy to do, not really evaluating if it was biblical or not. Sometimes you'll hear them even echoing their parents' tones and their words. Sometimes you'll even hear older kids in the family echoing the mom's tones and the words, and that's kind of normal. That's kind of natural. But we need to think about is this a biblical way of handling um, disobedience or correction? Or we'll take pop psychology, bribery, you know, making deals, it, use your power as an adult to, to offer bribes that encourage the behavior you desire. You know, your son won't clean his room, so you offer him money. And all you have to do is be creative enough to find a bribe that works with each one of your kids. Um, but that's not how the Bible tells us to do it either. It will work to some degree, but it's not biblical. So we want to do what the Bible says. Or contracts. You know, I remember another book years ago where you got together and had a family conference and you let the kids help make the rules and you committed to performing certain things and the child performing certain things. Um, but again, you know, God gives us a role as parents, and it's not to let our kids help make the rules, although you can always use their input. That's, I'm not saying that. You should always get your kids' input on things. But ultimately, you are the parent, and you need to set the guidelines. The point of appeal and bribery, bribery and contracts is self-interest. You know, it latches on to the evil in the child's heart and uses that as a motivation, and we don't want to do that. Your child, instead of being taught to look out for the interests of others, like Philippians 2.4, 
says, let each of you look out not only for your own interests, but also for the interests of others. So if we use methods like this, our child is not learning about being under authority because God is God and his parent is the agent for God. He's not learning godly character. He's not learning integrity, responsibility, orderliness. He's not dealing with the heart, only the instances of misbehavior, which is behavior modification. And that's the world way of doing things. And that's, you know, behavior modification. You reward good behavior in some tangible way, but, and you ignore or punish bad behavior. Praise is a good thing, and we should use it frequently, but not as rewards for normal responsibilities. You know, whatever modifies behavior inevitably trains the heart. So if you're rewarding the child for simple responsibilities, it's training the heart to greedy self-interest or obtaining rewards. The point of appeal, you're appealing to him on his greed. And it seems to work. You know, you get the desired behavior usually, but you're feeding his lusts. For example, you know, for an example of good behavior, you put your name in a jar. Bad behavior, you take your name out of a jar. At the end of the week, you draw names, and the winner gets a present. The kids are learning to be selfish and to do things from impure motives. They learn how to gain parental approbation and therefore get a name in the jar. And they be, learn to become manipulators of the system. You know, God does reward our obedience, and there is temporal blessing attached to obedience. But God calls us to obey him for the purpose of honoring him. God honors those who honor him. 1 Samuel 2.30 says, Wherefore the Lord God of Israel saith, I said indeed that thy house and the house of thy father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord saith, Be it far from me, for them that I, for them that honor me, I will honor. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. So the reason that we do what we do is to honor God. We are left here on earth to honor God, not to feed our desires, but to honor God. Another way that some parents deal with misbehavior is emotionalism. Oh, it makes me feel bad when you act like that. You're hurting my feelings. Ted Tripp tells of a little girl in the airport, and the mother actually left her. She warned her, if you don't stop doing that, I'm going to leave. And she left her there all by herself in the airport. Um, or shame. You know, I hate this. Big boys don't cry. You're acting like a baby. What will others think of you? That's not the motivation for why we do what we do, not what others think. And we don't want to shame our kids. We want to help them deal with what's going on in their heart and choose to honor God with their actions. Banishing the child to another room to sit in a chair facing the wall. No contact with the family. It's cruel and it's usually ineffective. The child isn't learning to understand his behavior biblically. Instead, they're learning to discern specific issues of the heart that behavior reflects. Learning to avoid emotional privation. The heart is being trained, but not to know and love God. And that may end up that the child's driven by insecurity to please their parents, or they may rebel and distance themselves. Another invalid form of, of uh, correction is punitive correction, trying to use the threat of punishment to control kids. And this takes many forms, um, hitting the kids, yelling at the kids, privation of something they desire. 
You're attempting to keep them under control by a negative form of punishment. But the rod, and we'll talk about this more later, but the rod is the form of correction that's biblical. But it's God's method. We use the rod for direct disobedience. Either you tell the kids to do something and they say no, or you tell them not to do something and they do it. If our kids were disrespectful, we would have them change their tone of voice and go back to the person they were disrespectful to and speak respectfully. If they were irresponsible in their job, doing a job or whatever, we'd have them go back and do it responsibly. So we would not use the rod for things like that. We would just call them back and have them do it right. Grounding is another thing that a lot of parents do. It's very popular. Ground them from their bike or their phone or their TV or going somewhere. The problem with this is that none of those issues that cause the poor behavior for which he's grounded are being addressed. It's not designed to correct, but to punish. You're not having them deal with what was going on in their heart when they did the misbehavior. It doesn't address the issues of the heart. He learns to cope with grounding, but his character flaws are not addressed. He's not learning God's ways. He's not being taken to Christ who can enable him to learn God's ways. We would have our kids learn scripture to address what was going on in their hearts, not as a punishment, but as a guide to lead them in the right path. Nothing will change a child's heart but God's word. It's a powerful two-edged sword. So just beware of attacking your kids with the word. You don't want to do that, but you want to lovingly guide them into hiding it in their heart where they can build up an arsenal for dealing with life's temptations. That's the goal. It's not punishment. It's equipping them to deal with life. You can even let your kids know you struggle with the same thing. If you do, help each other by quoting the scriptures sometimes. God's word never returns void. But it has to be hidden in the heart first, so that's the first step. That's why in previous podcasts I've told you about us playing Bible CDs for our kids at night, and that was so effective in our kids' lives. You know, you might think it just distracts them from sleep, but it's training them to meditate on God's word. And scripture promises, promises to be successful in all we do if we meditate on his word. So it's not, you shouldn't think of it as, hey, this is keeping them awake. You should think of it as they're meditating on the word as they go to sleep at night. And that's more important than exactly what time they fall asleep. Eventually, when the kids meditate on the word, it goes way down to their heart and their behavior changes. Not to say they'll never struggle with that sin. Usually, each person has a sin or two that so easily besets them. But you're building up their arsenal, which nobody can ever take from them. The word can never be taken from them. Teach them to be skillful in learning that God's word addresses all sins of the heart. God's word can mold new hearts one step at a time. God's word has the answer. Bathe your kids in the word. Tripp says grounding is an easy route for parents. They're frustrated. They don't know what to do. They feel like they need to deal with it somehow. But it doesn't address the heart biblically. Kids learn to cope but not change. One other way is um, erratic confusion, no consistency. You know, the parent will draw from this source. They'll try something they heard on Facebook group or Google or a magazine article. And they're constantly changing how they deal with misbehavior. And the kids get confused. They don't know what mom and dad's standards are. 
today? Is it different than it was yesterday? They don't know what mom and dad want. You know, it's almost better to pick one thing and stick with it, but biblically is the only effective way to change your kids' hearts. Remember, the heart determines behavior. If you address the heart biblically, their behavior will be impacted. For example, if your child's yelling at their sibling and you yell, stop yelling, you know, yelling isn't the real problem. The real problem is the anger or the bitterness in their heart that yelling expresses. So if you just get them to stop the yelling, your life is easier, but you're not helping them change their heart. Superficial parenting produces superficial kids who don't know what makes them tick. They drift through life, never understanding the internal struggles that drive their behavior patterns. Changing behavior without changing the heart trains the heart toward whatever you use as your means. If it's reward, the heart is trained to respond to reward. If it's approbation, the heart is trained to struggle for, for approval. When the experts tell you to find what works for each child, they're saying you must find the idols of each heart that will move the child. And that's not what we want to do. Addressing the heart unbiblically plays to the corruption of the heart as an idolater and provides him with functional idols around which to organize his life. If you only address behavior, you never get to the cross of Christ. It's impossible to get from preoccupation with behavior to the gospel. The gospel isn't a message about doing things, but being a new creature. God produces change from the inside out. Character development is pretty much ignored in behavior modification. Children learn not only to, to do expected tasks, but to make critical choices as responsible people in living in reverence for God. That's our goal. Instead of learning to jump through hoops to avoid your displeasure, they learn to make choices on expediency instead of principle, if you train this way. Another devastating consequence is it produces a distance between the parent and the child. Manipulation. They resent your attempts to control their behavior. It's kind of like a cat and mouse game with you, but communication's lost. And they learn as they grow to live independently of mom and dad. You know, God is concerned with the what of parenting, but also the how. So your methods and your goals should be complementary. You want kids to realize that life worth living is lived under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and your methods must show that same submission to the same Lord. A biblical approach involves two elements that you need to weed together. Rich, full communication is the first one, and the rod is the second one. Proverbs 23, 13 through 19 says, Do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. My son, if your heart is wise, my own heart will be glad, and my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord always. Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. Listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Directing your heart. The rod must be coupled with the rich communication. God calls parents to act as his agents in child rearing. The emphasis on communication prohibits cold, tyrannical discipline. It provides a context in which the child can be known and learns to know himself. 
Communication, we need to remember, is dialogue, not monologue. We need to talk to our kids, but we also need to listen. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights in airing his own opinions. This applies to us as parents. He who answers before listening, that is folly and shame. And sometimes, I mean, I know it's so hard to listen. The kids come and they want to tell you about their dream, and it goes on and on and on. And, you know, instead of saying, okay, get it over with, it's not important anyway, you need to listen to them. You need to take the time to listen to what's going on in their heart and how they're thinking about what's going on in their heart. It's slow sometimes, it's deliberate, it takes time. Sometimes you're busy and you're not really listening, but your kids eventually learn that you don't think they're important or you're not interested in them. And that's happened to me, you know, many times where you're just busy, you're involved in something else and you're, yeah, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, but you're not really listening. So you need to put down what you're doing and listen if you really can't at that time, then you need to let them know, you know what, I want to talk this over with you. Let's choose a time when it works for both of us to talk this over. So your objective should be to understand your child, not simply to have them understand you. That's so important. You need to learn how to help your child articulate their feelings and thoughts. Focus on understanding. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Your first objective is to understand what's going on inside of your child. What is important is not venting your feelings or your anger or your hurt, but understanding the nature of the struggle inside your child. Ask yourself, what is the specific content of the abundance of his heart in this situation? What was his temptation? What was his response to the temptation? What was he trying to accomplish? If you can understand this, you'll be well on the way to understanding why this thing happened. You need to learn to peel away the behavior and discern the inner world of your child's motivation in this situation. Now, obviously, you can't understand it perfectly, but it's worth the effort to try. What feelings is your child struggling with that you can identify with? What pressures is he experiencing? What hopes and fears in this, is this circumstance bringing out of his heart? Your communication objective should be the behavior you see is a reflection of the abundance of your child's heart. You should want to understand the specific content of the abundance of his heart. Don't assume that you know it or that he's displaying sin that you see in your own life. Don't be quick to judge, but listen. Sometimes we see things from our frame of reference, and if our child does a certain thing, we think, oh, he was just being selfish or he was just wanting attention because that might be what we would do in that situation. We need to learn our child and not just quickly assume that we understand what's going on. The internal issues of the heart are of greater import than the specifics of the behavior since they drive the behavior. To summarize, you want to understand your child's inner struggles. You need to learn to step into their shoes and see life from their perspective. You know, if you're going to understand and help your child understand himself, there are skills you need to develop. You must learn to help your child express themselves. You must learn how to facilitate conversation. You must know how to comprehend behavior and words. I told in another podcast how we had one son who would appear angry when he was really embarrassed. You know, you need to 
not just assume that what you see is what it is or that you understand it. You need to delve into it and learn your child. You must strive to discern the matters of the heart. Proverbs 25 says, The purposes of a man's heart are deep waters, but a man of understanding draws them out. As a parent, we want to be a person of understanding. That's our goal. Jesus came to earth, and he experienced all the things we're experiencing. Hunger, scorn, tiredness, suffering, temptation. God in the incarnation came to dwell with us so he could look at the world through our eyes. Tripp said he was too often focused on correcting external behavior and lost sight of sympathizing with the weakness of his kids. I think I have done the same thing. Dealing with disobedience is a wonderful opportunity to draw alongside our child. As we learn their internal struggles with sin, we have an inside track. We're sinners like they are. You can use our, your insight into the nature of temptation to help them understand their own battles. You can encourage them with the grace and mercy you found in Jesus, and it's offered to them as well. In him, there's righteousness that we cannot produce, forgiveness we cannot merit, and power we cannot generate. So in closing, ask questions your child can answer, not, not uh, why did you do this, but more like, what were you feeling when you hit your sister? What did your sister do to make you mad? Help me to understand how hitting her seemed to you to make things better. What was the problem with what she was doing to you? In what other ways could you have responded? What should you have done? How do you think your response reflected trust or lack of trust in God's ability to care and protect you? You must begin as the parent by understanding the nature of the internal conflict that was expressed in hitting his sister. As he answers your role in helping him to understand himself and speak with clarity and honesty about his internal struggles with sin. There are four things to walk your child through. Number one, the nature of temptation. Number two, the possible responses to this temptation. Three, the motives for those responses. And four, the sinful response that they chose. In this process, you stand both before him and beside him. You are above him because God has given you the job of disciplining and correcting him, but beside him because you too are a sinner who struggles with anger toward others. Parents tend to do one of the other. Sometimes, how can I correct him when I struggle with the same thing? So they just fail to correct. Others stand so much above that they're hypothetically distanced from the child. They put across to their child that they're perfect. But you must engage your child as God's agent. You have the right and the obligation to censure evil. You do so as a sinner who is beside them and able to understand the way sin works in the human heart. Okay, in the next lesson, we're going to try to wrap this up. And we're going to discuss various types of communication described in Scripture. So I hope this has helped been helpful to you and I hope it helps you deal with some of the issues in a practical way that you see going on in your home. Thanks for joining us today. We'll see you next week.